and welcome back to Fan Fatales, a member of the Real Fans Network. I'm Emma. And I'm Gabby. And in this episode, we're going to be going back to Broadway as we talk about some theater icons. Yes. Now, the different categories of theater icons that we will be discussing are iconic costumes, sets, actor and actresses, and roles. Yeah. So shall we get started? Yeah. I think we need to start right now with okay. the best category first. Well, with the, with the rules first. Of Fine. Our bracket. You, you explain it. You explain it. Okay. So for each category that we are going to be discussing, Gabby and I chose our top six, and we are going to be pinning um, against each other, bracket style, and we will be pinning, like, my number one against my number two, and Gabby's number one against her number two, and so on and so forth, and may the best one win. Yeah. So shall we start with the first category? Yeah, and you're first. So you, you're yes. number one and you're number two. So first. our first category is costumes. And my number one was the red dress in Annie. I mean, every production of Annie will have this costume. The dress I'm talking about is her dress at the very end of the show, the red with the curly wig and the red with the white little like Peter Pan collar. And mm-hmm. it's mostly because the comic strip Little Orphan Annie that inspired this 1977 musical comedy regularly featured the title character in this outfit. Now, my number two is the Phantom Mask in Phantom of the Opera, and this um, this has become a symbol of the show since its opening in 1988. This mask hides the prosthetics um, that the Phantom actor has, and over 300 masks have been made for the Broadway run alone, with each actor having a mask custom made to the shape of their face. Which is honestly very impressive. I mean, all of that, all of those, like, prosthetics take up a lot of space. Yeah. I think it's very interesting. I can't imagine it. I know. I love yeah. it so much. I think that's a lot of, a lot of work going into that. It really is. A lot so. of the costumes I chose, minus, like, Annie for it's just, like, I don't know, sheer, like, everyone knows that costume, mm-hmm. are very technical prowess. Yeah, I agree. I honestly think Phantom has to move on to the next round. I think I, so, too. I mean, I it's to say been it. the symbol of the show since 1988. Yeah, Phantom is more iconic than Annie, sorry. <laughs> and it's not yeah. just because I hate Annie. <laughs> I know, you hate Annie so much. So, I think we're going to say Phantom is moving forward. Yes. The Phantom Mask, yes. Yes. So then so my what two. So number one and number two? Yeah. My number one and number two are, first I have Glinda's bubble gown from Wicked. Yes. So this is when Glinda the Good is first introduced. She's wearing this ginormous, literally 45 pounds of fabric. Yeah. And it's a huge floor length, like, perfect bubble blue ball gown she also has this like elaborate tiara and scepter and it's beautiful and gorgeous um so costume designer susan hilferty said she was inspired by the sky and she explains that there are 25 different kinds of sequins used on the bubble dress alone 25 different kinds oh and they're all hand sewn on yeah yeah um so the bubble dress was intended to appear like a wedding dress or every girl's fantasy of a, like, princess ball gown. Like, the quintessential princess dress. That's what it was supposed to be. 
And there are also nine different fabrics used in the construction of this dress. Link down below. I'll, I'll link all of the links. Yeah. Um, my second ball gown in this one is Belle's yellow ball gown. It's like iconic. I mean, I said, I mean, need I go on? Like, despite resembling the original dress, costume designer Hold Ward, that's their last name. I couldn't find their first name. Sorry. Um, based her version of the gown on several historical portraits and artworks. And this one also weighs 30 to 40 pounds. Yes. Um, the costume was made of silk and consisted of a hoop skirt, brocade, beading, flowers, bows, lace, and ribbons. And Hold Ward won a Tony Award for Best Costume Design for her work on Beauty and the Beast. So, I mean... <laughs> I think that's kind of a hard choice, but I'm leaning a little really bit more hard towards, choice. I'm leaning a little bit more towards Glinda. I am too, honestly. Because I feel like Belle's dress is iconic because it's Belle, not because of like Broadway. Yeah, I, I agree. The movie it's because is of the, the cartoon. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say Glinda, I think. I think so too. Okay. So you're next too. So, I also have a princess on my list, and she's my number three. And it's the Cinderella quick change dress in the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, the 2010 revival. Mm-hmm. So, originally the musical, so she has to transform, transform from rags to riches in a matter of seconds on stage during the song Impossible. And originally, when Rodgers and Hammerstein ori- like wrote Cinderella, it was made for... Um, television which Mm -hmm. meant that the transformation could be done with special effects and carefully chosen camera angles but in 2012 when a stage adaptation of the work premiered on broadway costume designer william ivy long who earned his sixth tony award on for this production um, devised onstage magic of his own for the same moment most of the effect was achieved by using reversible fabric panels um, though some stage magic pull strings and sleight of hand was involved to suddenly give her the big poofy skirt. But like yeah. her giant ball gown is hidden in her maid costume. Yeah. It's crazy. Yes. And then my next one is um a Disney show actually. And it is all the puppets and headpieces in The Lion King on Broadway. Julie Taymor is a god. Yes. I she love literally Disney. is. Yeah. She's amazing. So, so Tony Award winning director and designer Julie Taymor, along with designer Michael Curry, hand sculpted and painted every prototype mask that now appears in the iconic Circle of Life opening of show. And there are 232 puppets in the show, including Rod, Shadow, and full-size puppets. And some were even inspired by Japanese um, puppetry. And with the masks, Tamor creates what she calls this double effect, which enables the audience to see the characters as animal and human at the same time. So this is like the masks that um, like all the lions wear. And some of them are even like the actors have like a remote to like make it move down and like make it look like they're like going lower and everything. Yeah, it's really cool. Yes. 
This is a hard one for me. Because we have some on-stage magic happening. But also Julie Taymor. I think... I think I have to say Lion King. I think so, too. I don't know. It's just it's, hard. It is really hard. Because, okay, that Cinderella moment is technically so impressive. Yes, I had However, to have some sort of quick change in yeah. my outfits. I mean, the Cinderella outfit is technically really impressive. Yeah. However, the Lion King costumes are so iconic. Like, you see the lion heads that Julie Taymor made, and everybody knows instantly. Like, that's the Lion King. Yeah, like, oh, Shrek on Broadway when they made the reference to um, Lion King. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Like, they just recreated some of the masks and did the nuts then yeah there's an ogre and a donkey or whatever the whole thing was yeah they like literally made a joke about it yes i think i i think it has to go to lion king i think so too okay mine you're gonna be shocked (laughs) what my third one is (laughs) okay i'll be the first to admit I hate this show. Strongly hate cats. I hate cats so much. However, as much as I hate to admit it, the costumes literally so iconic, so 80s, but so 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 iconic. It's literally the painted yeah. bodysuits with the fur, with the fur cowl neck things and those freaky wigs. Like you literally, literally Everybody knows what they look like. Yeah. Like, even people who've never seen the musical Cats know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. You're like, it's so, so well known. And I hate it. <laughs> but, like, it is. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the design was done by John Napier. And he was a freaking genius. Because as sucky as the show is, and as stupid as the premise of it is... It's so good. Yeah. Like. <sighs> so that's my thoughts. I, there's not really much I could find about the costumes I tried, but, you know, it was the 80s. True. Not many people want to talk about cats, I it. guess. No, couldn't I couldn't find, find it. You could even find it for, um, what was it? For the tour that's going on? Nope. I found it for the movie. That's all that came up was the movie. Even though I typed in musical, all that came up was the movie. And it was like all CGI. And I was like, that's stupid. That defeats the purpose. (laughs) So anyway, there's that. My other one I have is Persephone's green dress from Hadestown. Okay. She also has a black iteration of this dress that's very pretty. Yeah. But in every iteration of this costume, Persephone... In this context, it was always amber gray, um, has been in this shade of green. She is spring and summer as we begin and brings life and energy and hope to the world and to those we meet in the bar. But the dress has changed as we developed into the world of Hades Town and it became black and dark and miserable, right? That really yeah. dark, dark black color. So it's about representation and explosion. Again, it t- again taken from amber as she developed her performance and those mad asymmetrical sleeves shot out of my pencil as i drew her that was uh from designer michael crass 
He was also Tony nominated. He was nominated for Hades Town, Noises Off, Mackinac, The Constant, or sorry, The Constant Wife, Charlie Brown, Twelve Angry Men, Heisenberg, and new plays by Joe DiPietro, Stephen Belber, Nikki Silver, and Elaine May. Wow. Yeah. So, very well-known designer. Very, very, not very award-nominated designer. Um, I just think it's really cool. I think the sleeves are gorgeous. I think they're unique. I do, too. And it's, I think the whole design for Hadestown, honestly, when it comes to the costume design for the whole show, I think is very unique. And it's something we haven't really seen done before because it's, it's not, like, direct. It's very conceptual. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, it, like, it's trying to evoke a feeling. It's not so, like, in your face, this is what it is. And I feel that's very similar with cats. I feel like cats doesn't really, like, just, like, hand you cats on a plate. It's, like, cats is, like, here are these things that kind of look like cats. Here you go. Figure it out for yourself. Yeah. They're humanoid cat things, you know? So that's why I pinned these two together. I think cats has to win as much as I hate it. To say it yeah i think so too it just has to right yeah yeah i think cats too sadly as much as i hate to admit it it's just it's everybody knows it yeah so okay moving on you're next too okay hold on let me get back up so these next two are kind of both girl groups, which is kind of why I pinned them against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is All Six Queens in the musical Six. And Gabriella Slade, who was the costume designer for Six, I love describes her name. in an inter- I know. Describes in an interview that she researched each queen on their own to get to know them and then transitioned into researching fashion trends in the Tudor era. For example, the lattice work on F- work effects on Howard's skirt and Boleyn's costume have Tudor elements, and the slashed up effects on Parr's costume was seen in men's doublets in the Tudor period. Mm-hmm. And Slade also took inspiration from pop artists like Beyonce, Ariana Grande, Adele, Alicia Keys, and more. You can absolutely see the Alicia Keys inspiration with oh, the last one. Parr. Parr. Her. Yeah. Absolutely, you could see the inspiration of Alicia Keys. Her hair looks just like Alicia Keys. Yeah. Um, and then, while Slade sought to give each queen their own visual identity and personality, she recognized that they would need to be tied together for the cohesion of the show. So each queen has their own color and defined silhouette, but she used black and metal accents to tie all of their costumes together to do Which one I think is set. Very smart. I do, too. Also, one thing I didn't write down in notes from, like, articles mm-hmm. was um, Boleyn and, um, no, Howard. Mm-hmm. Boleyn and Howard, they both have um, Choker chokers. necklaces. Yeah, and they're both the ones that got beheaded. Uh-huh. Like, a very clever little thing to do. It's very smart. Yeah. And then my next one is the also, Heathers. I think, I think the one, both of the queens that were divorced, Howard and um, 
cleaves. Yeah. I think they both have like little tiara things. I think so too. But I think I think Par has one too. So I'm kind of like, eh, it might just be. Yeah. Interesting. Eh. I don't know. It's really interesting. I think look at the costumes. They're gorgeous. They're great. Yeah, they're great. I love them. They're, now, they're so the good. Now the next one is the blazer looks for the Heather's in Heather's. I mean, come Absolutely on. Absolutely iconic. They're inspired by the original 80s film, Heathers. The costume designer was tasked with making a look inspired by um, the 80s for the three mean girls and the protagonist. And Amy Clark, the costume designer, describes, so the color story is totally there. The shoulder pads are totally there. But we needed to turn that into a silhouette that worked for movement and that worked for the dancers. So they took this iconic 80s style. Mm-hmm. But made it, you know, for dancers and, like, hiked up the short the skirts a little bit and made it more tailored and all that compared to the original movie. Mm-hmm. Which, I kind of prefer the style of the original movie just a little better, though. I do, too. I love that it's not so blocky. I feel like the blazers and heathers on the stage are, like, a lot more obvious when it comes to the coloring than they are in the film. Like, in the film, it's a lot more subtle. And it's like, yeah. they wear the accents of those colors, right? Their blazer may be gray, but it has red stripes on it. Or it has red accents in the plaid. I agree. And the socks are red, and the shoes are red, and the scrunchies are red, right? It's not so much like red blazer, plaid yeah. skirt, red socks, red scrunchie, red, you know. It's a little bit yeah. more subtle, which I kind of like. I know like. that there was a production in Australia, I think, that did it based on... The 80s film with the gray and the red blazer blazer yes yeah i love it yeah okay in my opinion though i think six wins just a little bit i think just so a too bit. you think so too just because of how like she took tudor period and modern day pop artists and meld them together to mm-hmm. be such an iconic look for the show. Mm-hmm. I I agree. Yeah. Because who knew that would work? Yeah. And you can see the inspiration. Like, it's not coming from nothing, you know? No. And I think the article that will be linked down below actually says which queen was kind of inspired by the pop artist. I didn't write it down in my notes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can see it. Like, yeah. you can obviously see that Catherine Howard was inspired by Ariana Grande, the ponytail, yeah. right? The iconic Ariana Grande ponytail. Beyonce is, like, um... I... Oh, I forget what she was. The first one. Yeah, that's Aragon. what I was going to say. Catherine of Aragon, yeah. right? Yeah, Aragon. Jane Seymour is very Adele with the skirt and the dress and the, you know, you can, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, I always felt like um, Anne of Cleves was very, um, like, Nicki Minaj. I do, too. Like, I get that vibe. The, the shorts Honestly, and then so the bodysuit. Honestly, so how many did we have? Yeah, how many pop artists did we have? That's also very Beyonce, though. The bodysuit thing is very Beyonce. True. I just so, love it so much. I do, too. We're mo- letting six move on. Okay, next one. Yeah. Okay. 
once once we get through like the explanation of all of them, it'll be really quick going after because we'll just be like, okay, Phantom yeah. or Lion King, you know, which is yeah. better? <laughs> it's just the explanation that takes a long time. We swear it won't be so long. Okay, yeah. so my last two are very different. These are like wild card. They have nothing in common. <laughs> so, yeah. my first one is just like the entirety of Rent. Every costume in Rent. I know you just rolled your eyes at me so hard, but the entirety of Rent is gorgeous. Rent was designed to be an ensemble show, and it is pulled off beautifully, right? Okay, the designer, I can't, uh, what's her first name? It doesn't say, but Went is her last name, W-E-N-D-T. It took her six weeks to prepare the iconic ensembles for this show. Oh, this is for the tour, by the way. This is for the recent tour. Um, she okay. underscored the importance of collaboration and helping the pieces come to fruition, not only working with the director, lighting designer, and choreographer, but also with Wentz's core team, associate designer Katie Mullerkins, wardrobe supervisor Katie Dean, and hair and makeup designer and supervisor, oh my gosh, I'm going to butcher this so hard and I'm so sorry, Ulitsin Alvarez, plus a squad of tailors, artists, and crafters, Quote, it just really depends on who walks in. I like to integrate the actor with the costume, which I appreciate. Like, yeah. the original Broadway show set, like, an idea of what the characters are supposed to look like, but you can tailor it based off of who comes in, right? Like, if, yeah. if a girl who's six foot tall and weighs 100 pounds comes in to play Mimi, right, you can put her in something a lot different than somebody like me who's five foot three and 150 pounds you know yeah like you can totally design it based off of who comes in and people's personalities which i enjoy i love that also the cost also angel's costumes in every scene are just amazing yeah i especially love the happy new year costume especially in the 2008 production with that hollow dress it's so cute yeah okay that's my first one I love Rent. I love Rent. I will talk about it forever if you let me. <laughs> the last yeah. one I have is Dolly Levi's Harmonia Gardens dress from Hello, Dolly. The red one with the feathers. That one was, if we had done more, that one would have been on my list. Yeah. So, Freddie Whittop's tra- tailored and colorful costume designs for the 1964 Broadway musical Hello, Dolly won him a Tony Award for Best Costume Design. Of all the finery adorned with beads and buckles and bows, quote, the most memorable costume in the show was Dolly Levi's Harmonia Gardens dress, a full-length scarlet gown glittering with tiny baubles, accessorized with long white gloves, and a feathered headdress made for an eye-catching ensemble for original star Carol Channing. Sashaying down the stairs to the strains of a musical title song, Dolly reclaims her place in society at her favorite haunt. Whittop's original rendering for the costume was featured on an episode of Antiques Roadshow, and it was valued at $5,000 for its iconic iconic status as one of Broadway's most recognizable costumes. Which I think, I hate to say it, based on that alone, I think that beats out Rent in a heartbeat. I was just about to say that. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it does. It just does. Yeah. Sorry, so Rent. Now we it's- have to pin... The Phantom Mask against Lion King. I think Lion King. I think so, too. Well, because, okay, think of it. The Phantom is just one costume. The Lion King is a whole show. 
True. I'm going to say Lion yeah. King. Yeah. Okay. Glinda versus cats. <laughs> Gabby. I have no idea. I think cats. Hmm. No, I think Glinda, actually. Because, like, okay, think of it this way. Show literally anybody, anywhere, a picture of both. Which do you think is more recognizable? I think Glinda. Yeah. Like, okay, like, the movie, like, I think it just is. Yeah. Like, many, many, many people know cats, but some people are going to be like, what the hell is that? Why are you showing me a picture of somebody in a first Yeah, this like, is weird. oh, like, right outside, or not even right outside Wicked, because, you know, I went to New York over mm-hmm. December, over Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just, like, signs for Wicked around town, but it would just be a picture of whoever was Glinda at the time in the iconic dress. Nothing else. Exactly. That's all you need. No, yeah. It's perfect. It that, encompasses and I the think magic on the other and the whimsy. side was um defying gravity moment with the current alphabet. I was gonna do that, but a lot of people don't know like the specificities and you can't really see how beautiful the dress actually is from the stage. Yeah. Whereas with Glinda's you really can. Yeah. Okay. Six versus Hello Dolly. I want to hear what you have to say first, because I already have my mind made up, but. I don't know. I think Hello Dolly, because of the $5,000. Well, not only that, I think just because it's been around a long time. Like, people Yeah, it's been around since 1964. We're pinning something from 1964 against 2021. Mm, Or 2020. Yeah, 2019. So, like, I think... You know, Dolly is just iconic. It is part of the golden age of Broadway. Yeah. You just can't ignore that. Yeah. Okay, so our final three. Lion King, Glinda, and Dolly. It has to be between Lion King and Dolly, right? I think it's between Glinda and Dolly. Really? Yeah. Well, I guess we, we've decided there. It's Dolly because we both said it's between this one and yeah. Dolly. So there it is. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. So Dolly okay, Levi's we... Harmonia Gardens dress from Hello, Dolly is, in our opinion, definitively the most iconic costume on Broadway. Moving on. To the most frustrating category to find notes for. Yes. So, I have a little rant about this at the beginning of our notes. So, I know. The next category is sets. And my little note is that it's very frustrating how hard it is to find information about sets and any technical design that isn't costumes. I, at heart, love set design. I love designing sets. I love doing lighting design. I love doing sound design, even. It's a little bit more boring than the other two, but it's, I still love it all. You know, my little techie heart is hurts so bad that the designers for these sets don't get the recognition that they deserve because well i mean how many years were set design sound design not included in the tonys literally there's a break of like 50 years maybe not 50 but like 40 years at least (laughs) 
where they're not included in the Tonys. It's like from 1966 is like one of the last Tonys that has set design until 2000. 2000! Like, what? Yeah. Like, there is no show without set, lights, and sound. Yeah. And there wasn't, there wasn't an award for sound design until 2014. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's something like that. Like, it was fairly recent. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that's my little rant. Now I want to talk about one of my favorite sets of all time. <laughs> oh, my God. It's literally so extravagant and so over the top, and I have wrote an, almost an entire page about it. I love it. So, I'm going to be talking about the 2017 revival of Miss Saigon. So, first, yeah. my first bullet point is, they land a freaking helicopter on the stage. A freaking helicopter. Almost an entire freaking yeah. helicopter. That's so much. So, how do you put a flying helicopter on stage? First, you have to gut it out, leaving only the front, the rotor, a tail light, and the cockpit. The entire thing is made of, quote, fiberglass and glitter. End quote. <laughs> Deadpan's de- set designer, Kinley. And then set designer Kinley explains that it's attached to a big steel piece of engineering, quote, end quote, which allows it to land on stage, pick up the main character, Chris, and whisk him away, <laughs> which, I mean, if you've ever seen the show, it does. It really does. That show is on Amazon. Go watch it. It's so good. It really is. It's, it's I sob. It is. Oh, it makes me cry so hard. Okay. Next bullet point. The Morning of the Dragon number features a giant golden head of Ho Chi Minh, while the American Dream now contains a giant Statue of Liberty head that, quote, vomits the engineer's Cadillac onto stage, which is true. The mouth opens up and the engineer's Cadillac goes hurling out onto the stage. And it's just, it's a a real Cadillac, like a real car. They have a real helicopter. They have a real car. They have a giant statue of Liberty Head. They have a giant head of Ho Chi Minh. They have literally hundreds of dragons. Like, come on. Okay, moving on. Sorry, I'm getting really heated. My volume is going to be it's off the no charts problem. in this one. So, it's... Hey, mine uh, were off the charts for the one I edited today. Okay. So, set designer Kinley added with a laugh, it's quite obscene, which is true. It is very obscene, but I love it. Okay, next... In conceptualizing the design, Driver and Kinley were inspired by war photography. I'm pretty sure Driver was the director, but I'm not sure. I, I think. Read the article. It explains in the article. Yeah. In conceptualizing the design, Driver and Kinley were inspired by the war photography of the era. Quote, I was, initial, I was upset initially with all of the burnt out images of the villages that happened due to the bombings. And what was left of it were these skeletal shapes of villages. And I always felt that they were, these were a very strong visual point for creating a world, explains Driver. Throughout the process, Kinley and Driver were determined not to distract from the heart of the story. Quote, this is a love story about Kim and Chris, end quote, says Driver. Quote, that is the major note for us designers, not to get carried away with the scenery, to tell the story in the truest way possible, end quote. Kinley adds, it's not a show about a helicopter. That's what everybody thinks when they think of Saigon, end quote. To which Driver exclaimed, chuckling, it's something like 53 seconds of the whole thing, this sodding helicopter. 
Which is true. It's true. It's literally on stage for 53 seconds. But that's the thing you think of. You think Miss Saigon, helicopter. Yeah. Right? So that ends my little rant on Miss Saigon. Thankfully, my next one is very, very, very short because I couldn't find any information on it. So I said Les Mis solely because of the barricade. But there's nothing I could find on literally any sets at all. And it's so frustrating because it is so, so iconic. That was me with my number one as well. I can't find, like, anything about it. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, Les Mis is one of the most well-known Broadway shows, besides probably some of the Disney shows, because they're Disney. You know? Yeah. So, not being able to find any information about the set design process and about the inspiration for the design just... It's so frustrating because it is so beautiful. It really is. And it's so symbolic, too. it's so too. hard to, like, produce for, like, a regional show. Mm-hmm. It's technically a difficult design. It's thematically so powerful. Yeah. Right? That's where, spoilers, if you haven't seen Les Mis in the past, I don't know, 40 years, um, it's where Eponine dies. It's where Gavroche dies. It's where 99% of the, of the ABC, yes. what are they called? ABC? Oh, the ABC, oh. Cafe. The ABC Cafe. Yeah. It's where 90% of them die. Like, they're children. Well, kind of. But they're, I mean... They're supposed to be like 17, 18, 19. Gavroche is a child. Gavroche is like 10. They're supposed to be college kids. Okay. Yeah, they're supposed to be like college kids. Still, still kids. Yeah. Okay. Like our age. But yeah, college age kids. Like, imagine. I don't know. That's it. That's. There's not much left to say because there isn't much to talk about. So, I love how you put Lamis and Miss Saigon against each other because weren't they written by the same people? Were like they? The book or whatever? I think <laughs> were so. they? I have no idea. I just think I think they both have like I think they both evoke. Like they're both about. Yeah, they were concepts. both written by um, Schoenberg. Like both of they were both written by the same um, writers. Oh, I didn't even do that on purpose. I just did it more because I think they both have really large set pieces and they both are like developed around like a concept, right? Like Miss Saigon, a lot of the set is like built off of this concept of this Vietnamese shantytown. And then later on, when you're seeing like the engineer's fantasy and like the American dream and like we're seeing, um, sorry, I had chili in my throat. And we're seeing like, Kim and the engineer in Bangkok, it's, like, the same set, but they, like, modified it. Like, they put this layer over it of, like, neon to make it seem like it's something different, but it's really not. And to me, I think that's really symbolic, right? It's the same frame, but one is posed as, right, like, the Vietnamese part of it is, like, this really sad, desolate place, 
And that's where Kim yeah. and Chris fall in love, in the place where it's sad and desolate. And in the place that's flashy and bright and exciting, right? Kim feels more alone than she's ever felt. Right? It's kind of like a... It's kind right. of like a... I don't know. I've had a lot of time to think about Miss Saigon. I did a report on it like two years ago for a for a theater class. And ever since then, I've just loved the show. Just for the music, for the design. It's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I can't. I have to it choose really it. Is. I have to. I was going to say, I think we have to choose it for the helicopter alone. Yeah. I mean, the, the barricade is very impressive. Yeah. But a helicopter and a whole car. That yeah. gets vomited out by the lit Statue of Liberty head. Like, come on. Yeah. Okay, I'm done with my little rant now. Go ahead. So, just like you with Les Mis, I could not find anything about this first set piece I'm going to talk about being the chandelier in the fandom of the opera. Yeah. There's nothing about it, but it is, like, such a pivotal moment in the show. It is a moving set piece that glides over the audience, not even yeah. just like on stage, over the entire audience of the theater and crashes down to create the dramatic climax that is the Phantom of the Opera. I think that's like one of the first things people think of besides the mask is the chandelier. I agree. That or the I've boat. never seen the show. I've never listened to it. The one thing I know about it is the chandelier. Yeah. Phantom's good. And then my next one, I kind of chose both because they give me, like, Halloween vibes to pen against each other, and it is mm -hmm. Beetlejuice. So I got a lot of information about Beetlejuice. It was um, designed by set designer David Corrins, and he designed it to be a warped interior of a Connecticut home, nods to Mr. Burton's own um recognizable fun house mirror aesthetic and um like the allergy to the right angles kind of thing like where's all the slants and all the weird shapes and angles and tim burton feeling mm -hmm. um and the place i was gonna say it feels secret. very dr seuss yeah it does and you know it has to have like all of these like different like like the door that they draw like, it has all these mm -hmm. hidden secrets in the set that appear during the show. And then the centerpiece mm -hmm. is the, sh the house being that there's three renditions of the set. The original home of the Maitland couple, which um, Corin describes it as bleached country chic. The design yeah. on steroids home of the Dietz family. And the ominous aura that um, descends when Beetlejuice sets up residence in the house. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the other sets are the Beetlejuice game show and the graveyard and the netherworld. After all, it is about ghosts and ghouls. Yeah, I mean, and I also think you can't discount the fact of, like, those sandworms are freaking huge. Oh, yeah, they're giants. The sandworms are enormous. They're probably 10 feet tall. And the Beetlejuice pop, um, puppet that pops up, like, when he that takes thing's over the huge. house. Yeah, oh, what was, what's the actress's name? Barbara. The girl who oh, plays Carrie Barbara Butler. right now. Yeah. She um, posted a picture of her next to the hand the other mm -hmm. day. Being like, hey, we're back in session. And she was, like, smaller than the hand. Yeah. Yeah, that thing's huge. 
Yeah. You know what? I was gonna say I don't even know why I put Beetlejuice in here, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, this one's pretty good. Yeah. I feel like I feel like compared to Phantom, it's like technically a lot more difficult. Although they do have to make a boat move on Phantom. Yeah. There is a boat. <laughs> yeah, we and can't it looks like it's boat. floating. Yeah. In a sea of fog. It's pretty yeah. dope. Okay. It is. I don't know. I don't know if I could choose on this one. This one's like really these are both like really hard. I know. I don't know. That's kind of why I pinned them two together because you know the Halloween vibes, all the like spookiness that is Phantom and Beetlejuice. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I think just, <laughs> I think you were about to say Beetlejuice and I was about to say Phantom. <laughs> I don't know. I think Phantom is like very technical, especially with the chandelier flying across the audience mm-hmm. onto the stage. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it going back up after no. Oh my gosh, there's like a behind the scenes video of it going back up and it is like <laughs> I love it. It's so funny. I'll see if I can find the link to it and I'll link it down below if I can find okay. it. But like it's just so I love it. I think it's hilarious. I think knowing like the concepts of the design for Beetlejuice makes me want it makes me vote for it just a little bit more than I do for Phantom just because Same. we know more about it and like there's more information yeah, Phantom about like it's so secretive about the chandelier and the boat it and really is it's secretive about everything like i only found 3 bullet points worth of information about the mask yeah the mask yeah well i mean there's a reason phantom was one of the longest running shows on broadway and still is and still is Next to, like, Lion King and Wicked. Yeah. Like, there's a reason. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. Your call. Your call. I'm, like, so divided on this one. I am, too. Should we flip a coin? Or should I text Kara? We need Lifeline from Kara. Call her. Call her. I hey, we it. need your help. Oh, God. So we're on iconic sets, and we're pinning against the Phantom of the Opera chandelier and the Tim Burton design of the Beetlejuice set, and we're having trouble deciding. Can you be our tiebreaker? I think we both know what I'm going to decide. Say it for the people, Kara. Say it for the people, Kara. Beetlejuice. Kara says Beetlejuice. Okay, Beetlejuice. Kara says Beetlejuice. Thank you, Kara. Not that Phantom is not iconic. Not saying it isn't iconic, but it is. Um, I think I think that Beetlejuice is also, you know, it's inspired by the movie. Therefore, it has lasted longer. Yeah. So there's that. Plus, it's it's recognizable immediately. So yeah. there you go. And we also talked about like the sandworm puppet and all that stuff. That's. Can we make in with Sandy the our Lord and Savior? Yeah. Awesome. 
All right. Well, bye. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kara. Uh, Bye. Well, there we go. Thanks for that tiebreaker, Kara. Beetlejuice is moving on to the next round. Okay, so my next two. I have Kinky Boots versus The Secret Garden. So, The Secret Garden is not a very well-known show, and it hurts my heart because the music is beautiful. So good. So good. The quartet Oh, it hits me in like yeah. the 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 spot where my brain just feels so good. It's so good. It's just like it scratches your brain in just the right place. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's so good. So okay. For kinky boots at least. Let's start there, because that's my number three. I have kinky boots. I said the whole thing. But um according to the designer, I don't know why I didn't put any of their first names in here. But anyway. Um, David Rockwell. Designer Rockwell. That's the last name. I don't know. No, Dave. it says David in the link. Oh, yeah. David Rockwell. Okay, we found it. We found it. Thanks. <laughs> so, designer David Rockwell explained that devising 15 locations, 15, one five, from a single set proved challenging. However, quote, it gave us a chance to create surprises, pieces of the factory come to life, things pivot and move. When we go to the Fisticuffs pub, our platform splits into two. We lower a sign and deploy the boxing rings ropes, which honestly, I love in that scene that they use one of the drag queen's legs as like the thing that holds the ropes up. I'm like, that's genius. Yeah. Incorporating the cast into the set, I think is really cool. I do too. Um, I also, know you have another one that kind of includes the cast with the set later on. Yeah. Too. But I think I think Kinky Boots is just a show. First of all, everybody has to see. It is gorgeous. The show is beautiful. It's the set design is beautiful. The costume design is beautiful. The the yeah. songs are gorgeous. It's a great story. Great show. Ten out of ten. One of my faves. Okay. Talking about Secret Garden, I'm talking about the original one from the 90s. So the sets for Secret Garden, they have these ginormous, literally probably 20 feet tall, these animal statues. They're huge. And these leaves and like plants all over like the proscenium arch. Yeah. And they build a whole freaking garden. It's just gorgeous. Um... Based on Frances Hodgson Burnett's novel, The Secret Garden opened on Broadway at the St. James Theater on April 25, 1991. The production played 23 previews and 709 performances before closing on January 3, 1993. The show would garner seven Tony Awards, winning three, including Best Featured Actress in a Musical for Daisy Egan's performance as Mary Lennox. But that's really all I could find. It's really hard to find, again, finding set information. So yeah. that's what I found. I found a lot for mine, surprisingly. Yeah, but yours are all relatively new, except for Phantom. True. So, eh. Mine are very new, except for Phantom. Yeah. So, anyway, there's that. Now, as much as I love Secret Garden, I think it has I think, to be Kinky Boots. I think it has to be Kinky Boots, too. I think there, There's this one company that sells um bags made out of the curtains yes from the original production yeah 
I think yeah. they're called scenic bags. I think they also sell like a little pendant that has pieces of Glinda's original bubble dress in it. I think so too. Or I actually think it's scraps of the fabric from like the costume design. I don't think it's the actual scraps of the dress. Yeah. That would be a shame. But it's really cool. But yeah, I think Kinky Boots has to move on. I think just Secret Garden isn't as well known and it's not as iconic as sadly, as sad as I, that is. Yeah. Moving on. Oh. So the next one is Wicked and set designer Eugene Lee opted to create an environment inspired by the inner workings of a clock. The shapes, textures, colors, and functional aspects of clock gears and mechanisms contributed to a permanent environmental structure, which defines the stage space. And um, this is a quote from him. And then there was the clock of the time dragon featured in the novel. I had always wanted the dragon over the arch because it was clock-like, and kind of mechanical. And Eugene Lee won the Tony Award for Best Set Design for Wicked. And also, Wicked has made it in, like, the set for Wicked has made it into some TV shows like Glee. Mm hmm. Like, it's a pretty iconic set. Yeah. Um, and then my other one is Moulin Rouge. And the set designer, Derek McLean, took inspiration from the Baz Luhrmann film, from the colors to the elephant to everything in between. And he stated that he tried um, paying homage to a few favorite visuals from the movie, at the same time make this production feel surprising and new. And there are two major color palettes in the set various reds and there are many reds and golds of the club including Satine's apartment and the grays of the Montmartre Montmartre and they are deliberately in stark contrast to one another I think Wicked I I think (laughs) Wicked too sorry go ahead Satine the fact that like Ewan McGregor played um, whatever the guy's name is in the movie. And her yeah. name is Satine. Satine. And then they decided to make Clone Wars Satine a thing. And they didn't even know that Ian McGregor had a character, like, had a love interest already named Satine. They did that completely mm-hmm. on accident. Like, Dave Filoni has come out and said that. Yeah. I mean, but it's a good name. It is. Ewan McGregor has good choice. Yeah. <laughs> His characters have good choices. Yeah. So, yeah. I, th- I-, I think Wicked has to go on. Yeah, I think Wicked. So what are your last two? Okay, my last two are both very, like, ensemble-heavy shows. Which I think is very appropriate. So the first one I have is Matilda. Which, if you've ever seen pictures of the set of Matilda, the proscenium arch and most of, like, the legs, like, it doesn't even, it doesn't even have, like, fabric legs. It has, like, like, static legs in the, in the wings. Legs are the little curtains that actors hide behind. Yeah. Fun fact for those of you who aren't aware. But the proscenium arch 
which is like the thing that's like the wall where all the stuff hides behind and like there's like the little bit that comes out okay anyway you know what i'm you know what i mean the big the big arch in the theater so it's covered with what is essentially giant wooden scrabble tiles and first of all i think just the time and excuse me whoo I just think that the time and effort it must have taken to cut out all of these squares. I mean, some are really small, some are big, but there's a lot of really small ones. Yeah. So, um, the designer Howell, last name Howell, played that, quote, board very well. As in, like, making the whole thing look like a Scrabble board. And this is why he won a Tony Award for his wildly inventive and original sets for Matilda, the story of an intelligent young girl puzzling her way through a world of parental abuse and mas- magisterical, magis- magisterial, is that that word? Where? Google. Yeah, magisterial. Cool. Injustice. Magisterial injustice. It was very liberating, quote, sorry, Howell says, it was very liberating, everything opened up. Um, His, yeah, with his eureka moment regarding these tiles. Because originally, they wanted books, but the books didn't really translate very well. Okay. Like, it didn't really work. He was like, it looks too messy and muddy. Because they're small, there's like not much you can do with books. But with these tiles... It was, he was able to break up the world physically and build walls and doors, and it made the set like a puzzle that anybody could do. Yes. So furthermore, he adds that Roald Dahl, who wrote the novel, which the musical is based, was, quote, constantly scratching away at the common ground that adults and children share. And in a literal way, if I have a Scrabble tile in my hand and it's the letter A, it has the same possibilities for me as an adult as it does a six-year-old child. So it's, it's about possibilities and growth yeah. and, um, and the feeling of childhood. And I think that was captured really well through the use of these tiles. Also through those giant swings that just drop from the ceiling. I know. That also swing in front of the audience. Like, right over the audience. They just go, wee! Like, that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. Have you been on I Used to Be Matilda talk recently? Yes! What was up with that? I don't know! I was like, what the heck? Where did all this come from? Okay. Now, my sec- my last one is Newsies. And I said not because it has anything like amazing or spectacular, and it's more because of the few set pieces that they do have work so well with the show thematically and are so versatile. Yeah. Literally. I mean, it's a four-story steel cage with 20 dancers, 20 male adult dancers doing like flips and jumping and dancing like hard on these things and they're fine no problem like there's literally one scene where like five people at once jump off a set of stairs onto the next platform yeah and the whole structure stays like that's like very impressive it really is like because i've seen a community theater production of it and like the steel cages that they tried to use to emulate like shook yeah. While the actors got on and off. Yeah. That's horrifying. 
that was also a very scary production of Newsies I saw for me because the, they kept on coming in the audience and I was sitting front row. So then, like, I'd have these, like, boys screaming Santa Fe or, like, seize the day at me, like, that close to me. Like, within three feet. Like, not even three yeah. feet. Like, two feet. Yeah, it was never again. Yeah. So, Mm-mm. I think I kind of ran out of ideas, so I just kind of had to throw Newsies in there just because, you know, yeah. I think it's really I impressive. Kinda stole, I, I kind of stole these last two from you. <laughs> Yeah, you really did. I was pretty upset, but I think I'm gonna go with I think I'm gonna go with Matilda just because it's much more creative and yeah. really interesting, and it's very complex. Also, I read this thing that um the at the beginning of the show that the designers like to either I can't remember if they painted it or if they projected the word fart onto the tiles, and it's like a see if you can find it, and like kids point it out and start laughing instantly. It's very funny. They said it's like a moment to bring parents and children together. I was like, that's pretty smart, but it was pretty yeah. interesting. I can't, I think it was fart. I think it was fart, but it was pretty funny. But I'm going to say Matilda. Okay. So my last two, I kind of chose like two. Gabby's mad at me. Yeah, you stole mine. I was going to do these two, too. Well, you should have done the notes first. Okay, you know what? I've been really busy. I just got a new job, okay? <laughs> um. So these next two are, I don't want to say minimalist sets, but like stationary sets that they'll bring on a few pieces to kind of make a new scene, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um. The first one is Hamilton, and set designer David Corns realized that given the vast number of words in the Hamilton score, there wouldn't be enough time for scene changes as the 30-year epic unfolds over multiple locations. And he recalls that he went to some of the actual places like Hamilton's house in New York and looked at others like Washington's tent and books and on the internet. And he hung pictures on his wall. And after a lot of sketching and a lot of conversation, he came up with a theatrical metaphor. And this theatrical metaphor was that the Hamilton set is reminiscent of a ship or a construction site as it serves as a launching pad for the people who built the framework of our country. Which also, is true. the double turn tiles or turntables are amazing. It's pretty impressive. But I think Hades Town ones up the double turns tiles. I turn, do too, turn, and that's my next turn one. Turntables. Yeah. It levels it up. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. So I'll let you go. <laughs> my next one is Hades Town, as Gabby kind of already mentioned. And at first glance you will see a dilapidated right? Dilapidated, yeah. Okay. At first glance you see a dilapidated yet romanticized jazz club with wood floors caked in beer and plaster walls, logs with water. Look again, and you'll notice the rot is simultaneously in the industrial underworld. The bar's blue-green walls create a decay, blink, and suddenly they become the sky for Orpheus and Eurydice's poetic outdoor summer scenes. But the duplicity intentionally hides in plain sight. Rachel said to me, It should feel like the bar is a cog in the giant machine that is Hadestown. Um, they, uh, set designer hawk describes 
Um, and when the bar cleaves to expose the depths of hell, the true mechanism of the cog is revealed. And these bar tops don't move very far, but it feels like somebody's ripping your chest out when it happens because it's so emotional to see it split, says Hawk. The simple mm-hmm. design echoes the romanticism, conflict, desire, and loss all wrapped up in Hades Town. In the end, the whole world reassembles. It's the circular nation, or it's the circular nature. You're right back where you started as soon as it ended, which is kind of where we get the um, double turntables that Gabby was talking about. Yeah. Plus, if you've ever seen videos of it, they move up and down into the floor. I know. It, it's wild. Yeah. It's in, it's in, oh gosh, what's that song? Chant, I think? Yeah, Chant. It's in Chant, where, right, the workers are on the bottom, yeah. are in the outside wheel, and they're walking around it in one direction, and Hades and Persephone are in the center, and it's turning on its own. They're just standing there. But the workers are walking around the outside wheel, and as they're walking, it sinks into the floor, and Hades and Persephone rise up, and it's this, like, power dynamic, and it is, like, so cool! Because it's literally, you're seeing Hades and Persephone looking down on the workers, who are literally sinking further and further into the floor. Which, like, symbolizing their, like, their loss of their humanity and the loss of their individuality and making them more and more, like, objects and part of the the world of Hadestown. Yeah. You can tell which one I want to win, right? Yeah, Hadestown. <laughs> it's just so cool. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we're going with Hades Town. Yeah, we're going with Hades Yay! Town. Okay. Miss Saigon versus Kinky Boots. Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon. Okay. Beetlejuice versus Wicked. 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 Matilda versus Hades Town. Hades Town. Yeah. Okay. Miss Saigon, Wicked, or Hades Town. Oh my gosh, this one's hell. I think Miss Saigon. I think Miss Saigon too, because of the helicopter. The helicopter, the car, the Ho Chi Minh face, the Lady Liberty face. Yeah. All of that. The symbolic. Yeah. But I think the order is... Miss Saigon, Hades Town, Wicked. Yeah. But yes, Miss Saigon wins. Okay, there we go. Miss Saigon has won our sets bracket. Most iconic, uh, what's it called? Set. Most iconic set. So, moving on. We have iconic actors or actresses. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first. Go for it. So my first one is Brittany Johnson. Um, She is the first and only black woman to have played Eponine and Fontaine in Les Miserables on Broadway. On February 14th, 2015, she made Broadway history in Les Mis 
as she is the only woman to ever play both Fontaine and Eponine on the same day. At the time, Brittany was a standby in Les Mis, and she was a standby for both Fontaine and Eponine, and during the matinee, she was called in for Eponine, and at the evening performance, she was called in for Fontaine. And both are very vocally and emotionally difficult roles to play, and she played them both on the same day, and she's the only woman to have done it. And then yep. in 2018, she became the first black woman to play Glinda in Wicked as a standby. And then seven years later, on February 14th, 2022, she made Broadway history again as the first black woman to play Glinda full-time in Wicked on Broadway. Just Which is amazing. all very impressive. Yeah. I think she's winning out of these two. I really like this next one. I agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. So my next one is Joshua Henry. Um, He is best known for portraying Haywood Patterson in Pander and Ebb's 2010 musical, The Scottsboro Boys, for which he received a Tony Award nomination. He portrayed the lead role of Aaron Burr in the first U.S. tour of Hamilton, previously playing the role in the Chicago production that began performances in late September 2016, after Hamilton, Henry played the lead role of Billy Bigelow in the Broadway revival of Carousel and then went on to do Waitress as Dr. Pometer and has now been featured in the Netflix Tick, Tick, Boom movie. Yeah. Brittany Johnson. Absolutely. Oh, that means that she's probably going to have to go up against. Oh, I have great ones on my list. I kind of forgot who I have. Okay, my first two. First, I have Renee Rapp. I love her. I do too, because she was Regina George on Broadway. She was also the first, I'm going to call them, she's not even plus size. She's real size. Like, she looks like a real person. She's not stick thin. She's not, right? She's not like a model. She's like a real person. Well, yeah, Which wasn't I she, think... like, 17 when, she, like, wasn't she in high school still when she got cast? I think she got cast just after the Jimmy Awards in 2018. So, yeah, she was still in high school. Yeah. And I think, I think it's really important, especially for a role like Regina, that it's played by somebody real. Because everybody has a Regina in their life, right? Yeah. Everybody has experienced that at some point or another in their life. And making it somebody who looks like a real person makes it just that much more yeah. like connectable. So there's that. Also, I think she can totally belt her face off. Just my opinion. <laughs> I agree. So then I'm putting her up against Carrie Hope Fletcher, who is from West End. She's not Broadway. She's more West End than Broadway, but I feel like it still counts. So, you don't have one of the roles that she portrayed, and that was over in the U.S. Which one? Wednesday Adams. Oh, I don't. Okay, she was Wednesday Adams in some revival, right? In the U.S. tour. 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 So, Carrie Hope Fletcher made her West End debut as Young Eponine in Les Mis at the age of nine um, in 2001. 
In 2002, she was part of the original cast of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in the role of Jemima Potts. And in 2004, she played Jane Banks in Mary Poppins. She was she returned to Les Mis to play Eponine for the musical's 30th anniversary gala performance on the 8th of October of 2015. She played her final performance on the 13th of February of 2016, at which time she was the longest-running Eponine in the London production's 30-year history. She's now starring as the title role of Andrew Lloyd Webber's newest musical, Cinderella, which began previews on the 25th of June, 2021, at the Gillian Lynn Theatre in London with an opening of the 14th of July. She was also... One of the first, Ver- she was the first Veronica in Heather's on the West End, right? Yeah. She's also in the cast recording. Yeah. Also, another real-sized lady. Yeah, and I remember when she got cast as Veronica. Mm-hmm. There was controversy was... around that. I know. I was thrilled. I was too. So, anyway, there's that. Yeah. I think uh, Carrie. I was gonna say I think Renee rap on a technicality. On a technicality. Yeah, Carrie Hope was never on. No, Carrie Fletcher was never on Broadway. True. So I think that's the technicality. As awesome and as amazing as she is, she was never on Broadway. True. So I think I think we have to go with Renee Rapp. Plus, yeah. I mean, getting a a pretty major role in a huge musical. At 17. Yeah, it was her and, um... Andrew Mark Feldman. Why did his name disappear from my brain? I knew who you were talking about. Linguini. (laughs) He will forever be Linguini in my head. Yeah, like, he and her both won the Jimmy Award the same year, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or, like, he won it one or two years before she did, or vice versa. I think she won it before him if they didn't By win it one or two year. years. Yeah. And I mean, he got, like, a casting director called him and was like, Can you audition for Evan Hansen? Mm hmm. And he played Ev- Dear Evan Hansen, a high school senior. Yeah. As a high school senior. I mean, same thing with Renee. She was playing a high school senior as a. She was playing a senior? Senior. Senior? As a senior, yeah. No, she's a junior, actually. Yeah, she's a junior. She says, what did she say? I'm worshipped at this school, and I'm only a junior. Oh, wait, no, that's Heather's. I'm getting them all confused now. She is a senior. Is she? Okay. She is. I, I got, I'm getting Heather's confused, because there's a line that Heather Chandler says in the Heather's movie, where she says, I'm worshipped at Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Yeah. That's what I was getting confused about. No, Regina is a senior. Okay. Okay. Your turn. I need to stop talking. So, uh, my next one is Mistress Bernadette Peters. And Gabby's mad at me again. Um, so, her career has spanned over more than six decades. And she has starred in musical theater, television, and film, performed in solo concerts, and released recordings. Um, she is critically acclaimed. She is a critically acclaimed Broadway performer, received having received seven nominations for Tonys, winning two plus an honorary award, and nine nominations for Drama Desk Awards, winning three, f- and 
she's been on four or four of the Broadway cast albums that she's been on have um, won Grammys. And she is regarded by many as the foremost interpreter of the works of Stephen Sondheim. Um, Bernadette Peters is particularly noted for her roles on the Broadway stage, including the musicals Into the Woods, 1987, where she was the witch, and Get Your Gun in 1999, where she was Annie Oakley, Gypsy in 2003, where she was Mama Rose, A Little Night Music in 2010, Follies in 2011, and Hello Dolly in 2018. And I'm pinning her against legendary Andre de Shields. I don't think it's fair. I don't what? think this is fair at all. Why? Because it's not fair. It's Bernadette, 100%. Not fair. Not fair. You didn't okay. even give Andre a chance. Do you want me to change him with the uh, my number five? I think it would be more fair pitting... I feel okay. like putting Audra and Bernadette together is a lot more fair. Well, no, she's my number six, Audra. Yeah, putting Audra and Bernadette and Andre and Lynn together, I think, are much more okay. fair. Because, like, okay. Audra and Bernadette are, like, yeah. powerhouse women, okay. right? They're, like, Herica, the when women I said of Broadway. Andre. Um, and then my next one is Audra McDonald, and she's primarily known for her work on the Broadway stage, and she has won six Tony Awards, more performance wins than any other actor, and is the only person to win all four acting categories, being Best Female, um, Best um, Actress in a Leading Role in a Play, in a Supporting Role in a Play, Supporting Role in a Musical, and Leading Role in a Musical. And she has performed in musicals, operas, and dramas, such as A Moon for the Misbegotten, 110 in the Shade, Carousel, Ragtime, Masterclass, and Porgy and Bess. I love her in Ragtime. Yeah, she's great. I also, she, wait, yeah, she's in um, the Beauty and the Beast um, live action movie with Emma Watson. I believe so. So, hold on. She also, also in the 2017 revival recording of, of, uh, Miss Saigon, she also is the commentator at the beginning of the show and explains the history of the entire show of Miss Saigon. And it makes me so happy because her voice is just like butter. Her voice is like silk, just like talking. So Audra <laughs> McDonald plays, um, the wardrobe. Ah, yes. In the live okay. action yep. Beauty and the Beast. Then I'm pretty sure she was in, and I know you hate this musical, but in 1999, she was Grace Farrell in the Annie 1999 um, Disney television movie. 1999? Yeah. I thought that was it, the one with, oh no, that was the 80s. Yeah, the 80s was the one that you're thinking of. She was The one with... Bette Midler. No, not Bette Midler. Is it Bette? No, who is it? It's, um... Not Bette Midler. It's, it's, um... It's, it's Carol Burnett. That's who it is. It's Carol Burnett. Yeah, but you know and Bernadette Peters. Bernadette Peters. 1982 movie with, um, as Lily St. Regis. Uh-huh. And it's Tim Curry, Carol Burnett, and Bernadette Peters. Yeah, whereas... Oh, I forget who plays, um, Hannigan in the 1999... That one is uh, Bernadette Peters. I think. 
No. No. So the 1999 one is Kathy Bates as Miss Hannigan. Not Bernadette Peters. I meant. <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth so as Lily St. Regis. And then, oh, what's his name? Alan Cumming as um, Rooster. I don't remember that at all. It's on Disney+. Plus. I like it better than the 80s theme movie. I like the one with the 80s. But, yeah. So. Okay. I think. I think Bernadette. Yeah. I mean, it's. it's I saw her in an episode of Grey's Anatomy. And I went, oh, my God, that's Bernadette Peters. Like. And, I mean, she was in that. Uh, she was in Sunday. In Tick, Tick, Boom. She, which was just, she, like, Broadway legends. Yeah. I mean, Audra was in it, too. And so was Andre De Shields. So was Andre. And, and Manuel Miranda. And a bunch of other characters. And a bunch of other people, but... Four of my six people... Yeah. Were, were in, in that it. song. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say Bernadette. Okay. I think Bernadette. What do you think? Okay. I think so. As much as I love Audra... I do love Audra. She's her voice is butter. But Bernadette, like you hear her and you're like, oh, that's Bernadette. Same yeah. with Patty Lapone. It's the same thing. You hear her and you're yeah. like, oh, that's I had Patty. to do one of those um, powerhouses like Patty or Bernadette yeah. on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My next one. I have Marin Mazzy, who I love, who sadly yeah. passed away. Ugh, so sad. But. Um, Marin Mazzi, who played Mother in Ragtime, she played Margaret in the 2012 production of Carrie, well, the rewrite of Carrie, um, and yeah. Mazzi was a three-time Tony Award nominee for her performances as Clara in Passion, Mother in Ragtime, and Lily Vanessi slash Catherine in Kiss Me Kate in 2000. For her work in Kiss Me Kate, Mazzi was also nominated for a Drama Desk Award, an Oliver Award, and she won an Outer Critics Circle Award. She I think replaced it's Alice. Huh? I'm pretty sure they call it Olivier. Whenever I hear British people talk about it, they're always like, it's the Olivier Awards. Oh, okay. Um, she also replaced Alice Ripley as Diana in Next to Normal on July 19th in 2010, opposite her real life husband. That's so cute! Jason Danely as Dan, and they stayed with the show until the Broadway production closed on January 16th of 2011. Isn't that so cute? Yeah. Yeah, I love her. Plus, her voice, so good. Like, she can be so sweet, but also so terrifying. Yeah. So, I love that. Okay, so I'm going to pin her against Ramin. I can always say his name wrong. Ramin Karamloo. Yeah. And he made his West End debut in Les Mis, where he played... Huey. Which one is he? He's one of the many, like, ABC kids. Okay. He played Fuley, and he also understudied the roles of Marius and Angera. Um, In June of 2005, Caramelie joined the UK national tour of Miss Saigon, playing the role of Chris. Yes. Um, he also appeared in the West End production of The Phantom of the Opera as The Phantom in 2007. And then on September 22nd of 2016, it was announced that Caramelie would return to Broadway in the stage musical adaptation of the film Anastasia as General Gleb Van Gogh. 
and the show began previews of March 23rd of 2017 and opened up April 24th of 17 at Broadway's Broadhurst Theater, and his final performance in Anastasia was on December 3rd of 2017. So, honestly, the main reason I put him in is because of his work as Phantom. Like, he's so well-known as the Phantom. I think I have to say him. No! Really? I think so. I thought Marin had this one in the bag. Really? Yeah. Okay, give me your explanation. I'm curious. Why him? I don't know. Like, so when I was in high school, or in, yeah, in high school, we'll go with that. Um, when he was really starting to, like, be big with Anastasia and all that stuff, like, I don't know, like, that's when I first got wind of him. Also, you didn't mention this, but he's also played, um, I think, Valjean in Remus? Hold on. He did. I just didn't mention it. <laughs> it was a lot. Yeah, he was, um, he's been, what? Hold on. I'm, I'm gonna he's been, it. like, nine characters in Remus. So he's been both the Phantom and Raoul. Mm-hmm. And um, in Phantom of the Opera, Jean Valjean, Andrelas, Marius in um, Les Miserables, and then reprised mm-hmm. Phantom in Android Weber's Love Never Dies, which was the mm-hmm. sequel to Phantom of the Opera. Um, he was Gleb. I'm reading off of his Wikipedia right now. Um, Don't he's take known... this away. <laughs> what? I wanted Marin to win so bad. <laughs> But the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, shoot, 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 shoot. He was also, fa- Mary Mazzy died when she was like in her 50s. I think she died far too early. Yeah. Um, and he's, and the last thing I'll say is he's known for being in the 25th anniversary performance of the Royal Albert Hall for the Phantom of the Opera opposite Sierra Bagas. Fine. Fine. <laughs> Fine. I'm not crying. Oh, Gabby, why did you put these two together? It's going to be so hard. I had to. I had to. Fine. Fine. Okay. Okay. Your last two. So... My last two are Andre de Shields and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Andre mm-hmm. de Shields originated the role of the Wiz in The Wiz on Broadway in 1975. He and is he also- the Wiz. What? He literally is the Wiz. Yeah, in the Wiz. Yeah. Um, he originated the role of Hermes on Broadway in the musical Town, winning the 2019 mm-hmm. Tony Award for Best Actor in a Featured Role in a Musical, and the 2020 Grammy for the be- for Best Musical Theater Album for his performance. Um, he also he has also appeared on television and won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Individual Achievement for his performance in the 1982 NBC broadcast of Ain't Misbehavin'. Um, so he has gotten a Grammy, Tony, and um, Emmy. So all he's missing is that Oscar, and he got the EGOT in the bag. So he's gotten... He's yes. Gotten, 
eeged. Yeah. <laughs> just he like E-G-N-T. Just like when Manuel Miranda, who maybe he did get an EGOT. No, not yet. Oh, he's like he, he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it in this upcoming Oscar season. Yeah, he's gonna get it. So he's pretty much gotten it. But Lin-Manuel Miranda is known for creating the Broadway musicals in The Height and Hamilton and the soundtrack of two Disney movies, um, Encanto and Moana. And his accolades include three Tony Awards, three Grammy Awards, two Lawrence Olivier Awards, two Primetime Emmy Awards, a MacArthur Fellowship Award, a Kennedy Center Honor, and a Pulitzer Prize. Now I have to read this giant paragraph. Uh, Miranda gained a wider recognition for his writing um, the scripts, music, and lyrics for Hamilton, which has been acclaimed as a pop culture phenomenon since its 2015 Broadway premiere. It earned the Pulitzer Prize for Drama and was nominated for a record 16 Tony Awards and won 10, including Miranda's first win for Best Book of a mu- Musical. The Let's Hamilton be cast. What? Sorry. Sorry, let's be honest. Hamilton swept the 2015 Tonys. Yeah. T- Hamilton took the whole thing. Yeah. Like, if you were in a category against Hamilton, you were done. Like, you knew it. Well, wasn't there one category, and it was one of the, like, so, like, two of the 16 were both for best leading actor in a musical and it was Lin-Manuel Miranda and um Leslie Odom Jr. against each other for the Tony yeah which didn't Leslie Leslie Odom Jr. win yeah Yeah. for obvious reasons yeah um the Hamilton cast recording spent two weeks Broadway or the Hamilton <laughs> cast recording album. Sorry, let's. Sorry, 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 sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, Kara. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, Kara. The Hamilton cast recording spent ten weeks atop Billboard's top rap albums chart and became the eleventh biggest album of the 2010s. The Hamilton mixtape, a cover album by Miranda, further reached number one on the Billboard 200. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I think Glenn Manuel Miranda. I mean, people, everyone, everyone knows who he is. Everyone. Yeah. People who don't even like him know who he is. Yeah. He's everywhere right now. He really is. As as much as I hate it, but he is. Okay, Lynn Manuel swept this just like he swept the Tonys. So, my last two are impossible. I have Idina Menzel versus Patrick Page. I've seen I've seen both of these performers perform live. I'm jealous. Yeah, you know when Idina Menzel did her concert a few years ago, like when Frozen For first came out? Oh, the Frozen thing, yeah. No, it was like right after Frozen, but for that album, whatever one came out right after Frozen. Okay, that if then thing. Yeah, then if then I saw her in that concert, and then I saw Patrick Page in probably one of his least acclaimed roles. 
We'll talk about it. We'll get there. That's also the part I wanted to talk about Julie Taymor. If you remembered her when we were talking about Lion King. We'll get there. First is Idina Menzel. Number one, her range, fantastic. Yes. She plays Elphaba. She plays Maureen, which earned her a Tony nomination for Best Featured Actress in a Musical. Yes. Um, by February 28th, 2013, Manzel was cast to star as Elizabeth in the new Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie Broadway musical, If Then. She also has a humongous film presence. She is Elsa. Yeah. Um, she also played Nancy in Enchanted, who is one of her few characters who actually doesn't sing. Except for rumored in Disenchanted, she mentioned how she's going to maybe sing. Maybe. She had a song in the original Enchanted that got cut. Yeah, we'll see. They cut we'll it see when because because Nancy comes. is supposed to be like the one that's grounded in reality. But now that she's been living in Andalusia for so long, who knows? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, anyway, in 2021, Menzel co-starred alongside Camila Cabello, Billy Porter, and James Corden in Kay Cannon's jukebox musical adaptation of the Cinderella fairy tale, playing Cinderella's stepmother Vivian. Plus, I mean, who can forget that iconic moment with? John Travolta and the whole Adele Dazeem thing that happened however many years ago. Nobody will forget it. No. <laughs> okay. Next is my baby, my lover boy, my <laughs> the love of my life, <laughs> Patrick Page. I'm, never mind. I'm going to refrain from saying what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> The love of my life, Mr. Patrick Page. I love him so much. Girl. So I think, I think, <laughs> shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> I think, I think Patrick Page and Reeve Carney are the ultimate comeback story. Because, okay. Yeah. Pro- okay, Page's Broadway credits include originating the role of the Grinch in How the, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. He played Scar in The Lion King. He was Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast He in the national tour. And then at the Old Globe Theater here in San Diego, he played the title role of Cyrano de Bergerac, and he won the Craig Noel, he won the Craig Noel San Diego Critics and Pate Awards for Outstanding Leading Actor in a Play, which I'm, like, so sad. I never knew that he ever did stuff here, and I will never see him here. Unless he's on the tour of Town, which I also wouldn't be able to see because it's when I'm on my vacation. Um, also, Rent is coming when I'm on vacation, too, and I'm very sad. Anyway, moving on. He also created the... He originated and created the dual role of Norman Osborn and his alter ego, Green Goblin, in the Julie Taymor Broadway rock musical featuring Julie music Taymor by- directed that musical? She did the design. She did the design. The Julie Taymor Broadway rock musical featuring music by U2, Spider-Man, <laughs> Turn Off the Dark, which played at the Foxwoods Theater until January of 2014, premiering in June of 2011. It featured music and lyrics by Bono and The Edge, <laughs> but mostly by U2. Um, Paige's performance received positive reviews and was quoted as being one of the main reasons to see the show. Yes, for his, I agree. For his performance, as someone that saw the show, yes, for his it's performance, not the like twenty million Spider-Man that they had in the ensemble. 
Yeah. For his performance, he received a nomination for the Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Featured Actor in a Musical. He also originated the role of Frollo in the U.S. premiere of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He also played Hades in the production of Hadestown at the New York Theater Workshop at the Citadel Theater in Edmonton at and at Loyal, Royal... Pfft, sorry, try that again. Kara, take it back. He also was at London's Royal National Theater... He also reprised the role on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theater beginning in March of 2019, receiving a nomination for the Tony Award for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. Also, he is the ultimate silver fox. <laughs> I just had to sprinkle that in there. <laughs> just for my own pleasure. <laughs> yeah. My cheeks hurt from smiling. <laughs> I'm really thinking here. Honestly, I think just based off experience, I think Patrick Page wins. I think so too. Not not because I'm in love with him, because <laughs> of his experience. But also because you're in love with him. But also because I'm in love with him. But mostly because of his experience. Yeah. But like, okay. So here's what I mean about this, like, ultimate comeback story. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was, like, Broadway's biggest flop since Carrie 1980-whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, and he and Reeve Carney were Spider-Man and Norman Osborn, who are, like, the two main characters. Which I got and then, Reeve Carvey's understudy, and I'm still salty about that today. Even Reeve though Carney that was, wasn't that good then. I know, but I still wish I could have said I could see him. Yeah. But they also now play Orpheus and Hades in Hadestown, which is like one of Broadway's biggest hits in a long time. And it's also one of the most original musicals you can find on Broadway at the moment that isn't, hasn't been there for about 20 years. Yeah. That's just me and my thoughts about people making adaptations of things from Broadway. I don't count taking adaptations of like mythology. I don't count that. Because like they really like did this differently it's not like set in greece it's not traditional greek it's like modern retelling of that story yeah so i don't count it yeah as much as the other ones the other ones are movies they did you hear the back to the future one that they're making i don't want to talk about that isn't the original oh who who's playing doc who is it roger bartz That name does sound familiar. I'm looking. Oh my god. Who is it? That's why. Um. So in the 1997 Disney film Hercules, he's the young Hercules. Oh, he's young Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. He sings. He sings. Uh. Yeah. Oh, and he was also in the 92 touring production of Secret Garden. That's right. He was Snoopy in Your Good Man Charlie Brown in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So you know how they tried doing Hercules on stage? Was he going to play Hercules? No, he was going to do Hades. Ooh. They should have done Patrick Page's Hades. <laughs> He's already Hades. It's a little too on I the know. nose. It's, no, it's perfect. No, but that's cool that they had the original voice actor for the singing part of Hercules to do Hades. Yeah, that'd be cool. 
Okay, we need to get back into this because this episode is going to be so long. We're already at almost two hours. I know. This next one will go quick because we don't have facts. No, we don't because they're they're pretty easy. Yeah. So, Renee versus Ramen. Ramin. 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 Sorry, Renee. You're a queen, but Ramin. The experience. Yeah. Okay, Brittany versus Bernadette. I, I know we have to say Bernadette, but Brittany. We don't have to say Bernadette. It's our show. We can decide. True. But I think Bernadette. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, 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 it's Bernadette Pierce. I know. Yeah. I think one day Brittany Johnson will have the recognition that Bernadette Peters has now, but I think it'll just take a little while. Yeah, I think it will. Oh, no. <sighs> what, it's Paige versus Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda's winning? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no. that means it's Ramin Bernadette. And Lynn Manuel Miranda. Miranda. Neither Bernadette or Lynn. I think Lynn, because people who don't even know Broadway know him. They, they, like, everybody knows him. Everybody. You kind of set us up for failure with this one. Not I'm for failure. Sorry. But like you set us up for like, like it's rigged. It's rigged. Of course he's going to win. Okay, Lin-Manuel Miranda wins. Yeah. I want to change the order of these real quick. That's fine. So the last one we're going to talk about today is some of the most iconic roles from shows on Broadway. Yes. Kick it off, Anne. Al Woods from Weekly Blonde versus Evan Hansen in Dear Evan Hansen. Al Woods, without a doubt. Everybody knows who Al Woods is. Literally the other day, I was sitting in class. I had a pink cup. I had my pink bag. I had a pink scrunchie. I was wearing a pink shirt with a pink jacket, and I was using a pink pen. I was like, oh my gosh, I am Elle Woods right now. God. I loved it. I was like, I love my life. What about that law student on TikTok? The one that wears like all pink that is like real life Elle Woods? I want to be her. She's amazing. I want to be her. Okay. Mine, I have the witch from into the woods this order is wrong i changed the order i have the witch from into the woods versus hamlet from hamlet i think the witch just gonna say hamlet (laughs) hamlet's just like a sad emo boy true he's like simba but sad (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Just bullies you into making the choices I want you to make. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) But it's true. He's emo boy but sad. And the witch is like, it's Bernadette Peters. (laughs) 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 We're back to that. (laughs) God. Okay. So this one is fully rum in. Raven, Raven Caramelou. 
Yeah. Um, being the Phantom from the Phantom of the Opera and Jean Valjean in Les Miserables. I feel like Val- mm. I say Valjean too. <laughs> yeah. The Phantom is iconic, but Valjean is even more iconic. Yeah, I was just thinking of like, who am I? Like, that song. Yeah. Who am I versus like, the Phantom of the Opera? Is that like his yeah. song? Or would it be like Music of the Night? Probably be Music of the Night. But still. I mean, he does the have the sing once again with me. Yeah. But, nah. Phantom of the Opera is more Christine's song. Yeah. I mean, it's called the Phantom of the Opera, but it's more Christine's song than it is the Phantom song. Yeah. Like... This is the song where Christine gets to show off her, like, massive range. Yeah. Okay. I have Elphaba from Wicked versus okay. Lola from Kinky Boots. Oh. I think Elphaba. I think so, too. Because everyone knows Defying Gravity. Uh-huh. And the green. And the green. Although Lola is... So classic, too. Lola is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of classic, I'm going a little classic here. Mama Rose and Gypsy with Rose's Turn. Or mm-hmm. Maria Von Trapp in Sound of Music with Do Re Mi, um, My Favorite Things, all those. I like I like the yodel song. <laughs> I like that one. That one gets stuck in my head all the I time. I hate that song, but it also gets stuck in my head. I love it. And then I'll just be walking around the house go I swear to God, if you get that stuck in my head, you are dying. (laughs) She's gonna kill me, you guys. Oh my god. Um, I think I think Maria. I think I mean it's Julie Andrews. I mean Julie Andrews and then they just did it again with Carrie Underwood, which is also very good. But I mean it was Julie Andrews. You can't, you, you can't, it, it, you can't. Yeah. I mean, as fantastic as Rose is, it's Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews always wins. Queen yeah. Clarice Reynaldi of Genovia. <laughs> okay, I have Juliet from Romeo and Juliet. I did some Shakespeare in here because we haven't talked about Shakespeare at all. Versus, no. Also from Gypsy, Louise. As much as I love Gypsy, I think Juliet. I think so, too. You know who I almost put on my list, which would have been funny if we had to, if we ended up pinning them against each other? Hmm. Maria. Who? West Side Story, Maria. Oh, versus Maria Von Trapp. No, versus Juliet, if that ended up being. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so L versus Valjean. Valjean. Yeah. <laughs> the witch versus Elphaba. <sighs> They're both witches. That was the dumbest face. 
I just made the dumbest face. Oh my god. Oh gosh, no, I saw. Uh. That was about right. I think so. Like, most people are gonna know. I keep on coming back to this song. But Defying Gravity, most people are going to know that over the, Last Midnight. Uh, Again, Shrek, Shrek the Musical parodies it. It is famous. It is yeah. iconic. Okay, Maria Von Trapp versus Juliet. I think Juliet. I think Juliet. Okay. So Jean Valjean from Les Mis. Elphaba from Wicked and Juliet Montague? Capulet. Or Capulet. I can't remember which one she is. She's a Juliet Capulet. Capulet from Romeo and Juliet. So Juliet Mont- Montague sounds so much better than Juliet Capulet. Right? <laughs> no, but it's, um, oh, what is the famous? Montague monologue. Juliet. What? The, the Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Thou, Romeo. Yeah. thou art thyself, thou not a Montague. Yeah. Isn't that the one where is the, oh, but what is in a name? A yeah. rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. It's the same yeah, monologue. Yeah, it's the same one. It's Which is like, yeah. I also like that in that she's actually not saying, where are you, Romeo? She's saying, why are you? Yeah. Why are you a Montague? I think it has to be Juliet. I think so, too. I mean, think of how many adaptations of Romeo and Juliet there have been. Again, we were I just mentioned West Side Story. Yeah. I mean, okay, there's the original play from the 1400s right from Shakespeare time yeah and then there's also that movie from like the 60s where the men are in tights and they are too tight (laughs) is that what the wannabe Zac Efron yes from the 60s and then Juliet like she wears this nightgown but it looks like she's about to like spill out of it (laughs) yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah and then and there's the Boz Lerman one with Leonardo yes. DiCaprio. Yes. And Romeo and Juliet. Yes. <laughs> there's West Side Story. West there's Side the Story. new West Side Story. New West Side Story. There's Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. Yeah. There's, let's see, what else is there? Okay, Juliet wins. Can we get it? Yeah, Juliet wins. There's a lot. Okay, Juliet wins. Wow, I was not expecting that. She was kind of my throwaway. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, that was really interesting. So our final our final results are for the best costume, we have Dolly's red dress from Hello Dolly. Yeah. Best sets, we have Miss Saigon, the 2017 revival. For best actor or actress, we have Lin-Manuel Miranda. And then for most iconic role, we have Juliet from Romeo and Juliet. Okay. I feel like that's pretty good. Pretty good. 
I do too. So, let's get into this fandom news, because I gotta go to bed. I do too. And we have a lot of fandom news to get through. Yep, so we're gonna do rapid fire fandom news. No talking, just go. Mrs. Doubtfire will return to Broadway on April 14th following the show's ongoing hiatus. Newsies will open in London's West End in 2022, dates, theater, and casting at a later time. Refurbishment of Expedition Everest at Disney's Animal Kingdom has been extended through April 30th. Dungeons and Dragons the Musical! Here There Be Dragons sets a world premiere. Performances will begin on June 16th at the Players Theater. The permit has been extended for world celebration construction at Epcot through at least October 2022. The Harry Potter, the exhibition, an all-new interactive exhibition with behind-the-scenes looks at the book and movie's beloved wizarding world has opened at Philadelphia's Franklin Institute. Disney Genie Plus um, is... I'm going to leave that then. Disney's Genie Plus is no longer available in advance for one-day tickets at Walt Disney World. Disney's Winnie the Pooh, the new musical stage adaptation, returns to New York for a six-week summer engagement. Spider-Man director John Watts reportedly in talks to helm an untitled new Star Wars series. A new Star Wars book titled Star Wars, The Princess and the Scoundrel by Beth Revis will be arrived, will be released on August 16th. The novel will be exclusive invitation to the biggest event in a galaxy far, far away, the wedding of Princess Leia and Han Solo. Meant to be yours from Heather's hits Spotify's viral top 50. The track from the West End cast recording has hit Spotify's viral top 50. Disneyland has announced that the Main Street Electrical Parade, Disneyland Forever, and World of Color will return on April 22nd, 2022. Phantasmic will return to Disneyland on May 28th, 2022. Springtime is just around the corner, and so is Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival, which starts on March 2nd and will run until July 4th. Menu items have been revealed for the Garden Grays stroll at this festival. On Thursday, February 24th, the official trailer for The Secrets of Dumbledore was released. Hamilton co-stars Lin-Manuel Miranda, Leslie Odom Jr., and David Diggs reunited to open the SAG Awards on Sunday, February 27th. Broadway veterans Sierra Boggess and Chip Zine to star in Barry Manilow musical Harmony, which will tell the true story of the comedian Harmonist. The Lion King is partnering with TDF to bring back its Introduction to Theater program, as well as an autism-friendly performance in March. The Broadway production of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child will celebrate the Hogwarts houses with four special performances dedicated to each house. Ravenclaw Pride Night will be March 23rd, Hufflepuff Pride Night will be March 30th, Slytherin Pride Night will be April 6th, and Gryffindor Pride Night will be celebrated on April 13th. Frances Maley McCann... The Westin Heather McNamara and Jordan Luke Cage, the viral Westin JD and Heathers, are set to lead the Westin production of Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> the Disney California Adventure Food and Wine Festival will be running from March 4th through April 26th. Feast your eyes and stomach upon the menu, which can be found on the Disney Parks website. You can purchase a Sip and Savor Pass, which allows you to try up to eight different foods and non-alcoholic beverage items at a participating location. So we got a lot of news in the past week about the Percy Jackson Disney Plus series from author Rick Riordan. Production will start on June 1st, and they have started in-person chemistry read auditions for Percy Jackson, Annabeth Chase, and Grover Underwood. However, no decisions have been finalized yet. Riordan also explored the production offices where prep work for the show has begun. He met um, costume designer 
Tish Monaghan, who is brainstorming costume ideas and production designer Dan Hanna, whose team is busy creating the visual world in which Percy will travel in, including Mount Olympus, the underworld, Auntie M's, Sally Jackson's apartment, and many more. Calling all child axers, the Telsey office is holding open video call auditions for kids eight to twelve month or eight to twelve for Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway. <laughs> on the Galactic Star Cruiser, um, the or the Halcon Star Cruiser, the new um, Disney Hotel, there is going to be an exclusive lightsaber available um, at the boutique, just located right off the atrium. And you can customize it with a letter icon of your choosing written in Arabic, and it costs $170. As of February 23rd, Disneyland Resort parking trams return to take guests from parking structures to downtown Disney, Disneyland, and Disney's California Adventure. Disney Cruise Line's new Lighthouse Point, which is their new island that they're creating, construction will finally begin in the Bahamas on March 2nd. The $400 million project was officially announced at the D23 Expo in 2019, and Disney has now acquired all necessary permits and government approval. Starting February 28th, visitors to Disneyland's Avengers Campus will find a plaque located to the left as they enter, honoring Lee and his contributions to the legacy that stretch well beyond the pages of comic books. The Walt Disney Company welcomes new Executive VP, Chief Digital and Technology Officer for Disney Parks Experiences and Products, um, and his name is Gail Evans. Disney Plus roll out new parental controls ahead of upcoming Marvel shows. The off-Broadway musical Kimberly Akimbo is transferring to Broadway in fall of 2022, led by Victoria Clark and Bonnie Milligan. Joy Woods, currently chiffon in the off-Broadway production of Little Shop, is to take over the role of Catherine Parr in Six on Broadway. Anna Uzili plays her final performance on March 13th. Speaking of the musical Six, it will launch a second tour called the Boleyn Tour in Las Vegas in September. Casting will be announced in the coming months for the second tour. Face masks are no longer oh, required in Disneyland Parks, a in Disneyland Paris Parks, effective March 1st. The Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel has officially opened as of March 1st. Ryan McCartan will join the Frozen Tour for a limited time from March 17th to April 17th, 2022, re temporarily replacing Austin Colby. Whew! For the role of Hans, which yes. he played right Which he originated. The... No, he didn't originate. I he had gotten it. cast like two weeks before the Broadway shutdown, a.k.a. when Frozen shut down on Broadway. Oh, just kidding. Okay. So he was the closing Hans on Broadway. Right. That was a lot of snuff. Yeah. That was like two whole pages. Almost two and a half. Yeah. Rapid fire around. High five. <laughs> so, we will see y'all in the outro. I'm exhausted. I am too. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. We are a proud part of the Real Fans Network. That's right, and there is a huge variety of shows to listen to, like Real Fans for Real Movies, Holy Batcast, Disorder, uh, Please Rewind, and many more. Join us next week where we will be discussing some of Star Wars what-if scenarios and some Star Wars theories. Remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and subscribe to us on YouTube. Please leave us a review or comment down below to tell us what you thought of the show. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. 
Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram and TikTok are both at SnippyEmma, which is S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Gent on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. That's G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our music is by our amazing friend, Maddie Macon. And our editing is by the wonderful Carol Linsmeyer. As always, thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye! The views expressed in this episode do not reflect the brand or company they're about.